The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now your host, Bart Walker. Well, hey there. Welcome in. This morning, we're going to be talking about fire safety in your home, some things you need to be aware of. We're going to also be talking about uh, things that uh, are happening, people breaking the laws, arson. That's one of the things that's happening. I didn't realize this, but arson is the leading cause of fires in America. I didn't know that. But here's a guy who does know it. From the Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue, our Fire Marshal, Carl Pease. Hey, Carl, how are you today? Good morning, Mr. Walker. How are you? I'm doing great. Call me Bart. It's okay, good, Bart. Good to have you with us today. Uh, does weather like this offer a challenge to firefighters? It does. I mean, just like anybody driving around. I mean, we've got to take extra precautions when the weather changes dr- dramatically like it's a- supposed to today. Hope they're wrong. Hopefully they will be. <laughs> But uh, we're right on the edge, so it could go either way, I guess. That's what I saw this morning. Now, we're hearing that uh, arson is the leading, leading cause of fire in America. Is that, uh, is that true in Murfreesboro? It's a problem across the United States. Um, does it happen in Murfreesboro? Yes, it does. Uh, but that's what our office is there for, to try to prevent that or try to find the ones that do that. So how often do we have fires that uh, were started intentionally? And, and what is the cause? Uh, do people just like to see fires, or are they trying to uh, easily uh, you know, have insurance cover the, the cost of the building? Or well, what's the purpose? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, it depends on the fire, depends on the situation, depends on the individual. Um, sometimes we never know exactly what their motive was, um, but that's what we try to determine. And so you basically are a, a policeman who polices fire problems. Is that what? <laughs> That's a good way to put it, yes, okay. sir. So uh, what kind of training did you have to have uh, for this? I mean, this takes special skills, I would think. We do. We have to have special training in the origin and cause of fires, uh, common fire starters. Uh, even got to have a class on the myths of fire starting. The myths uh, of The it. myths of it. Um, hmm. You know, then we have to have interview and interrogation technique training. And a lot of it's just on the job, hands-on. Uh, we get a great assistance from the MPD and the Rutherford County Sheriff's Office anytime that we need assistance in an investigation. Both agencies, and matter of fact, all the agencies in Middle Tennessee are very, very cooperative. Now, when you have uh, these accelerants that people use, do they usually use the same kind, or are there a variety of accelerants that are out there that are, are they all easily uh, purchased somewhere? There are a variety of accelerants present, and they are easily purchased. Um, Our job is to determine, you know, where it started and how it started and why it started. And, of course, we get assistance from that from the TBI with the crime lab. You know, if we take a sample, they, we send it to them, and they run the analysis to tell us what was actually used. So they can really tell exactly what was used. So what would you take, uh, a charred piece of wood, or uh, is anything pretty much able to be uh, 
checked out. It is. Now, you got to keep in mind that, you know, some of the flooring material that we might send them, there's a glue component to it. Well, glue is a petroleum-based product, so that can show a positive accelerant sample. Now, what we do to counter that is we send in a comparison sample of the same type of flooring material to the lab, and they'll be able to tell us what's supposed to be there and what's not supposed to be there. So they're able to take the two apart and tell you what's left? Yes. Interesting. Boy, uh, has, how long has that been, uh, how long have they been able to do that? I mean, that's pretty fascinating. They've been doing that my entire career, so uh, that's Nothing over new. 30 years. <laughs> Interesting. So we've had uh, sort of a CSI type thing uh, available for 30 plus years. It's like CSI. We just can't do it in an hour with commercials. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody can, really. Uh, so when you check these things out and you find uh, accelerants and things of that sort, that lets you know you're going in the right direction. At that point, do the police come in and help or do you carry on the investigation within the fire department? The police does come in and help us, um, you know, when we ask them to. Um, you know, there, a lot of times, you know, the police is already as overwhelmed with a backlog of cases themselves. So once we determine that we believe we do have you know, an arson fire, uh, we will contact their supervisor and they will assign us a detective to help us if requested. But we take the case all the way from the time of the fire to all the way to the court proceedings. So do you have any cold cases or have you been successful on all of them? We do have cold cases. Um, you know, it, unfortunately, arson is one of the hardest crimes to convict um, because you've got to show First of all, that the fire did occur, which is the easy part. Then you got to show that it was intentionally done and why it was done. So sometimes it's difficult, uh, but yes, to answer your question, we do have cold cases. And when we call it a cold case, it's just we never close the investigation. We always leave it open in case we get some more information. Do many of these arson cases result in deaths of persons, which would bring in a whole new perspective, it looks like. It can. Uh, I won't say here in Mercerboro that uh, you know, a bunch of them have led to a death. Now, we have had deaths um, from intentionally set fires. Uh, but a lot of times, when, if we have that criminal element involved, the police are assisting us 100% from, from the very beginning to the very end. Well, now, the fire... That uh, happened over in, in, in uh, Springfield, involving the deputy who was found shot in the home, yes, and sir. then her home was set on fire. Uh, the fire marshals in Robertson County were doing similar procedures to what you do here. They were. Uh, I'm, I mean, I'm not that familiar with the case, but I'm sure they did, um, or are in the process of doing that. A lot of times, fire is used as a cover-up for another crime. Um, We've had instances where people have had their house broke, broken into and things stolen, and they to, to try to throw off the police, they would set the house on fire to... Just to, just to cover just it up? Just to cover it up. Wow. So uh, they, they must have had some close connection to the families or something. Otherwise, if they didn't know each other, uh, I don't know what they'd be covering up. <laughs> yeah. It, it's amazing on some of the reasons when we do find out why they did it as to why they actually did it 
How many um, in movies and things of that sort you see somebody who's just a, I guess, a pyromaniac and they love to see fires. Uh, do you run into that very often? I can say from my career, I've had that situation maybe twice. So uh, in two years, uh, 30 years. 30 years, I've had two that were just fascinated by fire. And one of them was even just fascinated by seeing the fire trucks. Um, of course, it was a progression. It didn't just start out, you know, boom, a big fire. It was a progression of, you know, calling 911, reporting false calls. And it grew and grew and grew and to where finally it, it actually burned a structure. Fortunately, nobody was hurt. Well, that is good. Now that we are, uh, what is it, ISO 1, yes, which is the best, the highest rating you can get as a fire department. It is. Does that enable you, did, not enable you, but to get that rating, did we have to do anything special to sort of ramp up our ability to investigate fires? Well, I think we've got to step up our game in all aspects of that rating to, so we can maintain that rating for the people of Murfreesboro. You know, that rating will can possibly help their insurance ratings. So if we get lax or we don't stay on our at the top of our game, that rating can drop, and we don't want to see that. We've we worked hard to get to a one, and we're going to maintain that one. And there are not that many number ones anywhere. There's not. You know, like I said, being, being number one, is very prestigious. Uh, of course, it took a lot of work to get here. It took a lot of money to get there. Um, so we've got to be able to maintain that rating uh, for the people of Murfreesboro and all the visitors that come to Murfreesboro because it's out there. People know that we're a class one now, and uh, we've got to maintain that. Now, we've talked uh, in previous programs about the new fire administration building and training units that are on the drawing board right now over at the Doug Young training facility. When do you think we're going to start seeing some of that ground being moved for that facility? From what I've heard, I think we'll start seeing dirt being moved this spring. Oh, so that close then? I think so. Now, I'm, I'm not part of the, those meetings that they've had, but from hearing talk around the office and, and other people, it's very, very close. Now, as we build our new administrative building and training facility and things of that sort. Are there certain criteria that the ISO 1 folks uh, who disperse that, uh, that title to us, uh, are, are there certain things that we're going to need to put into the, the new building, the new headquarters? Not so much the administration side of it. Um, now we will be putting in you know, classrooms that we can, we can have. There's gonna be multiple sizes uh, so we can hold anywhere from, you know, a 10-person class to a 100-person class. Um, that's part, that might be part of the ISO thing. The other, from the training ground standpoint, we've met that with ISO because of the training facility that we have. We've got a brand-new burn tower. I say brand-new, brand-new in the last three to five years. But we've got that burn tower. We've got burn cells that we can do. So we already meet those. That's how we got to the one. That, that helped us get to the one. Now, Murfreesboro, I've always had the feeling that Murfreesboro was really on the cutting edge of fire safety uh, back in the 60s. I remember a fire tower over by the technology, behind the technology center. Mm -hmm. uh, you had a lot of things that you did a uh, long time ago. We did, and, you know, that, that was the first school I went to was over at the old technology center. And that was the Tennessee State Fire School. That was state-ran. Uh, of course, you know, about... I guess 
15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago now, they moved to Bedford County. Um, and that all that things that were on that drill field have been torn down since then. But we've been fortunate to have that school either in Murfreesboro or right next door to Murfreesboro for several years now. And it's been a tremendous asset. So do you use the one uh, over in Bedford County? Oh, yes. So the whole state does? whole state does. And, uh, you know, I don't remember the exact number of training hours, but I believe we had just our department in well over 5,000 training hours Wow! with that facility. So we so still use it every week. This is an ongoing training. Uh, you don't become a fireman and, and that's it. No, 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 no. It's, it's <laughs> ongoing. Uh, of course, now it's changed over 30 years. But, you know, I, and I tell everybody when I talk to, to kids in the school, I read more now, I study more now, and I take more tests now than I ever did when I was in school because we got to maintain where we're at. And the fire service is a constantly changing profession. You know, a lot of times people don't like change. Fire service changes. Now, I'll say this, the fire service is sometimes slow to change, but we've got to change. And even more so now, change is coming faster. What is bringing the change? I mean, we're, you're still fighting fires. Uh, are the contents of the buildings different? Is the way people are starting the fires, is that different? Uh, the accelerants, are they different? What's what's different? Well, there's a lot of things different, Bart. There's, I mean, you know, you, you talked about the furnishings. You know, we've got a great video that we show, which is modern versus legacy furniture. Legacy furniture would, you know, it will burn, but it takes longer for it to catch, slower for it to develop. With the new style furniture, it catches more readily and it burns hotter and faster and quicker. Um, so that's part of the change. You know, 30 years ago when I started, all we did was fire, you know. And I think, if I remember right, the last year that we ran just fire calls, we ran like 2,700 calls for service. I believe last year we ran close to 18,000. Wow. Now, <laughs> Keep in mind, with the change, now we're running extrication, we're running medical calls, you know, we run right along with EMS. So, now, that again, that's a, over a 30-year period. It, this isn't ha something that happened in a year or two. But the fire service has changed a lot in the last 30 years. So a firefighter, in addition to being a firefighter, they have these other roles that they take on also. Is that right? They're, they do. They do. They're a, a, a medic. They're mm -hmm. uh, paramedics. They are everything. Worker of extrication equipment. Our men and women are trained anywhere from the lowest, I say the lowest level, the starting level of, you know, a, a medical first responder to all the way up to where we have paramedics who, I mean, a paramedic is just about, you know, a, a nurse. Um, now, I don't know the exact qualification between a paramedic and a nurse, but it's getting close to that, that threshold. We've got the whole range. And like I said, our men and women are very dedicated. And not only dedicated, they want to go to that next level. Most of our EMRs want to become medics. Most of our medics want to become paramedics, you know. So it's, it's a big change, but it's a good change. Now, when they are going through this training, uh, they are doing that here as well as the facility uh, over in Shelby, Shelbyville area. They are. Bedford um, County. Yes, they are. Uh, the fire training comes from, you know, what we say, you know, the fire school in Bedford County. However, 
we've got enough staff that have been instructors with the state and work for the state now that we do our own in-house fire academy. It's a 10 week long school that if you go to Deason that you go to. We have the capability now of doing that same training through the fire school here in Murfreesboro. We've got a class I believe that's gonna be starting here in the next couple of weeks. It's gonna be an in-house 10 week fire academy class taught by our people, our instructors, but it's the same class that they would go to if they were in decent. Now, since you're teaching it yourself, does this enable the new firefighters to better serve the community and help assure that we keep that uh, ISO rating of one? I think it helps. Uh, you know, when you say better, I mean, the fire school does an outstanding job training firefighters. Our people do an outstanding job. It's the same training. You know, we don't train anybody any different. Um, you know, I teach over to fire school on a part-time basis. And a lot of people I, over the years have said, well, I'm a volunteer compared to I'm a career. It don't matter in the training. We train career the same way we train volunteer. We train volunteer the same way we train career. There's no difference in training. Training is training. Do you find more and more people wanting to become volunteer firefighters? Is that their entry into becoming a, a real firefighter? Or is that sort of a dying breed now? You know, I, we don't deal, we don't have volunteers here in the city. Um, the county has a limited amount of volunteers. They're also a career, they're what's called a combination department. They have career and volunteer. So I don't know from, from what I've heard the volunteer, getting somebody to volunteer to become a firefighter is decreasing. Um, now that's partly because a lot of volunteer departments are going to combination with a lot of the firefighter assistance grants. These counties are bringing on full-time people as firefighters. So I've heard the volunteer incentive has kind of diminished a little bit, but it depends on basically where you're at. I mean, you know, there's a lot, I can say this, there are more volunteer firefighters in the state of Tennessee than there are career firefighters. Really? Um, Interesting. Because of the, the ruralness of our state. So more volunteers in Tennessee. From what I've been told. Interesting. Uh, how long does it take to, uh, no, you said, I started to say how long does it take to complete your training, but you said you never complete your training. <laughs> I just started my 34th year and I'm still not done. Okay. <laughs> and probably... 35, 36, 37 years, uh, there will be still something new developed. You For somebody know. with 35, yeah. 36, or 37. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it'll be me. but We're going to pause for just a moment. We'll be back and continue the conversation. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about one of the, I guess, most uh, press-worthy fires that happened here in Murfreesboro. Uh, got a lot of attention and Maybe it was arson. Uh, I don't know if it's ever been proven or not. We'll find out. Stay with us. The Dave Ramsey Show, weekdays from 1 to 4. WGNS, your good neighbor station. Rutherford County's place to talk. Hi, this is Peter Demas with Demas' Restaurants. One of the places I love to eat out the most and still be able to do so and maintain a healthy weight is at Demas's. You can get those options on the menu online at www.demasrestaurants.com. You can make the decisions that you want to make before you come in. We have options ranging from grilled chicken to fish 
works, you can get it with a side of green beans or spinach or even zucchini. Please have your family join our family for lunch or dinner at Demas's. If I could talk to the animals. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City. One of the best things about coming to Animal City is the knowledgeable and caring staff. Animal City offers gift cards in any denomination. When you stop in to see us at Animal City, make sure to explore all two stories of our wonderful pets and pet supplies. This is Amanda, inviting your family to come in and do business with my family. Animal City is at 919 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner and we salute our veterans. Honoring and remembering those who served in our military, here is today's Salute to Veterans. True American hero, Norm Elzir. We talked to a World War II veteran. What would be the closest moment to death? Was that being shot down that one time? Were you ever oh, captured or anything like no, that? No, we weren't captured. I landed in a tree and I was unconscious. I woke up, there were three rifles pointed at me. Strange uniforms. One guy says, Englishki, Amerikanski, Germanski. And I said, American. And he cut me down and hugged me. These were the Chetney people that took care of us. That was really something. There was a guy by the name of General Draza Mihalovich, general of the king's army, and the king was deposed by the Tito, the communists. But this general told his people, you take care of the Americans. He always did that. Tell us how you got rescued. A gentleman by the name of Vajoinovich, he was in the OSS, which is the CIA today. They had put together this idea of coming in and getting us with airplanes. They come in with C-47s. Each C-47 had six P-51 escorts. And they come in, it was about one in the morning, and I was on the first plane out because I was sick at the time. That's what this book, The Forgotten 500, refers to. They actually flew out over time, 500, saved us. And all of our names, there were rescues in the back of that book. This has been a Salute to Veterans on WGNS Radio. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One Middle Tennessee.com. Locally and veteran owned. Good morning. Traffic starting to pick up even more at 24 up through the Hickory Hollow area. Please use caution, common sense. If you have to get out and about in all this, several wrecks starting to crop up now over in Nashville. Hey, warmer weather is waiting for you right now at Pensacola Beach. Book your next getaway. PensacolaBeach.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Winter weather advisory will go into effect here later tonight. Periods of rain showers here for this afternoon, a cloudy sky conditions and a high into the mid-50s. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 40. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. The GNS and our call stands for Good Neighbor Station. That's been our objective since 1947. WTNS, AM, FM, and online. Welcome back. We're in the segment now where if you have a question, you can talk or text, whichever you prefer. I mean, you're in control. 
The phone number is 615-893-1450. We're learning about fires today from Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue. Fire Marshal Carl Pease is with us. And on that last break as we were leaving, we were going to come back and talk a little about probably one of the biggest uh, news stories that we've ever had on a fire. Uh, it got a lot of news, and that is the cedar bucket, uh, the old historic cedar bucket uh, that was uh, still is over at Cannonsburg. Do you, did, was it ever determined that that was an arson fire, or was it started by lightning, or what, what was the cause of that? Bart, that was an arson fire. Um, at the time of the fire, I was a new investigator. Um, new. How long ago was that? Seems like it was just yesterday. Oh, goodness. No, it was uh, around 2000, 2002, somewhere Boy, in there. Time flies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was a new investigator. Um, we did determine pretty quick that it was an intentionally set fire. Uh, now, it took us some time to actually find out who it was. Well, you found the person. We actually did. And I tell anybody, you know, me being an investigator, I'm not the best investigator. I got to work harder than everybody else because I'm not as good as everybody else. And this just kind of fell into our lap. Um, you know, we we knew it was set. We knew they used um, gasoline as the accelerant. Uh, there was a, a big, like a towel found in the bucket. Um, but it took about five years later that we just got a call out of the blue and said, I want you to know this. And he admitted to setting the fire. Well, the person who said it the called person, you. The person who said it actually called us and I've only had in my career as an investigator um, I've only had maybe three people that just had a change of heart over the over time and called and admitted to doing it guilt got them I guess so why did they say that they did this at the time he was a he was a college student he wasn't from the Murfreesboro area and they were just out I won't say partying, but they had been out consuming alcohol and thought it'd be a, a thing to do. And at the time, he didn't understand the relevance to the cedar bucket. And I guess over the course of time, he realized, wow, this was actually a landmark for Murfreesboro. And instead of just keeping it to himself, he, he called in and, and talked to us. Um, you know, we took the case to the district attorney at the time but with the time frame that had went on you know we didn't we still had the evidence and you know in in collection and all that but um, there wasn't any charges filed against him so he he uh, he's free he <laughs> period is. he is okay uh that's an unusual story i did not realize how that ended up and uh, he just said, I did it. Didn't mean to do it. Didn't know what I was doing. Regretted it. You know, he said he regretted it. Said he regretted it after he did it, but more so as he got older. This uh, is five years later. It, at least five years after the fact. And you've only had that happen, do you say, once before? Well, I've had people that we thought the fire was intentionally set, but didn't understand the motive or couldn't prove the motive. And... Uh, I've had one other, definitely a lady, set a neighbor's car on fire that she had been feuding with. And about, it wasn't quite five years, but about two years 
after the fire, she called me one day and said, I can't live with myself. I did this. And I had even talked to her at the time of the fire, and she did not denied any involvement. But she later admitted to it. So when things like this happen, uh, it eats away at the people. And, and if they have goodness in them, they will probably come forward. We hope so. You know, we'd, we'd like for everybody to be honest and upfront with us from the very beginning, you know, um, but some people, for whatever reason, they don't. Um, but I've had, like I said, I've had a couple that have actually come back and said, you know what, I'd, I'd, I need to tell you this. This cedar bucket goes back, it uh, was made a oh, hundred and something years ago. Yeah. Went to the uh, St. Louis uh, World's Fair and several other. Right. Chicago, I think, World's Fair. Uh, cedar buckets were, that was what Murfreesboro was known for, this whole area. Uh, th this is a good example of what happens if you, if you go to extremes. Uh, we cut down all the cedar trees and the weed. I wasn't around. <laughs> uh, uh, somebody cut down all the cedar trees and made cedar buckets in Murfreesboro. The Lane Cedar Chest Company, famous company in Smyrna. Uh, Shelbyville was known for pencils, cedar pencils. Mm -hmm. So pretty much these giant cedar trees uh, were gone after a while. Right. And so, but that was a part of our history. And it was. And yeah. I don't think this under I don't think this individual knew that at the time. Probably not. Uh, but that's one thing about being a student here from somewhere else. Uh, they don't know the history of the community. Right. What are some of the more uh, fascinating, I guess, is fascinating a good word, uh, arson fires that you have investigated? Have there been some that have really puzzled you and finally you came to the conclusion of here's who did it? Oh, there's been several that's puzzled me, and, and I'll be the first to tell you, you know, we can't determine in every situation how a fire starts. Um, you know, and I tell my people that, you know, when we're training them up as they become investigators, you know, don't be afraid to say, I don't know, because in our line of work, we, we don't guess. You know, we can't guess to say this probably started. You know, we have to be, you know, spot on and factual about how the fires start or we'll ruin our credibility. So, you know, I'll, I'll be the first to tell you, every fire that I've investigated, I've not always determined what happened. Uh, sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes there's so much damage that we can't tell. Uh, we have a text here from a listener who's asking, are often uh, anger, uh, is that one of the big causes of people starting fires? Being mad at somebody, having a grudge against somebody, uh, is that a major problem? To say it's a major problem, I wouldn't go that far. Does it happen? Yes, it does. Um, we get a lot of fires that are domestic related, um, whether it be a husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever the case. Uh, sometimes they resort to fire to, I guess, spill out their anger. Rather than doing something physical, they resort to fire. Now, this just ran across my mind, which shows I, I need something better to do with my mind. Uh, is it always uh, a building that's set on fire? Do people set no. cars on fire and tractors on fire, things like that? Oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's anything. It's, you know, homes, businesses, cars, campers, fields. You know, we've seen fields. Some of the fields. Some of the fields. Um, so it's not limited to buildings, no. 
Now, that's where you hear most of the stories come from are buildings because of the values. But it's, it's anything that you can imagine. Well, what do they think of setting a field on fire? I mean, that, that doesn't punish the, uh, the person that they're angry with. No. That punishes the firefighters who go out and try to put the field out. It can. And, and a lot of times, you know, we see a lot of times it's insurance involved. Maybe they may be upside down in their mortgage or they may have a car that they can't afford. Um, you know, they think, you know, who's got the money to pay for this? The insurance companies. So that's where we see quite a few. I won't say every one of them, but quite a few of them are financially motivated. Do you have many car fires these days? We hear in the news, we, we see about this car caught on fire, that one caught on fire. Uh, and, and how do you determine, do you do an investigation to determine if the car just caught on fire by itself or did someone purposefully set it on fire? We have several car fires and we call them vehicle fires because it could be cars, trucks, tractor trailers, mobile homes, whatever. Uh, but we do have several. Um, the thing about a car fire, the only time our office is called to investigate is if the firefighters and the captains on the engine companies, if they can't determine how it started, where it started, or why it started. Now, what you have to understand about a car fire, an engine is an internal combustion engine. It has every aspect to produce fire. Matter of fact, it does produce fire, but it's internal. So, you know, you've got the heat source, you've got the fuel source, you've got, you know, everything that fire needs. So, but a lot of times, you know, um, it can be just a mechanical failure that causes the fire. Um, it could be an electrical failure. So it's very tough to determine sometimes on a car. Now, if we go out to do a car fire or a vehicle fire and there's an accelerant that we find traces of in the passenger seat or the back seat, that's not typically where we carry those things. So then we look into it a little deeper. Why was this accelerant there? In these days, we see in the news pretty much that uh, General Motors, Ford, uh, Chrysler, uh, all of Nissan, uh, those folks, they're coming out with electric cars. I mean, give us five or ten years, uh, predictions are that the majority of the vehicles out will be electric cars. Yes. And we're also seeing in the news uh, so-and-so was asleep with their cell phone and the cell phone caught on fire. It's a battery. It's happened. Uh, are we going to see more car fires with electric vehicles? I believe we will. We're seeing them now. And, you know, that poses a, another threat to our firefighters because a car is not like a battery in our phone. It's a lot bigger, a lot stronger, more powerful. You know, I, I'm not an expert on car on electric car fires. I haven't, well, I don't think I can say I've actually seen one yet. I know that we've had electric car fires in Murfreesboro, but they wouldn't call to be investigated. Um, but even when the car is on fire, that battery is still charged. It still has a battery life in it. So it's very dangerous to our firefighters on the streets. What would it explode? Is that what it could do? It, I'm not going to say it could explode, but it could catch fire again. A lot of times when our guys and gals pull up on a car fire, if it's a, if it's a normal car, the first thing they want to do is kill the energy source. So they cut the battery cables. That protects them from any type of electrical short or electrical charge that might affect them. 
You can't do that with an electric car because it's all electric. Uh, the batteries are typically under the car or, or in a, I won't say just under the car, but in a different place than what we normally see. But I know there are classes out there now that people are teaching on electrical vehicle fires, and I'm hoping, you know, and our training division is a great training division. I'm, they're they're going to bring some of that training to Murfreesboro for our people so that they can be aware of what to do, what not to do with an electric vehicle. But right now there's so many different electric vehicles, and they're all different. Interesting. We have the world's largest auto manufacturing plant right here in rutherford county the nissan plant a lot of people may not realize that it is i think the wording is the largest auto manufacturing plant under one roof and uh they are pioneers yes in the electric vehicle they have the leaf and then this year i think they're coming out with a, a larger battery vehicle uh so you're saying the problem not only is the fire that you're putting out in an electric vehicle, but the potential that it might reignite or have another problem yes, with sir. the battery staying in it. So it seems like the new electrical vehicles, you're going to need to take that battery out before you haul the car to a place to be repaired or, or just parked. Yes. And again, I'm not, I'm not an expert on electric vehicles at all. Um, but they pose a greater challenge to firefighters and not just firefighters to emergency responders to the police officers to the ems that's going to be dealing with people in that car the threat is different than your normal vehicle fire interesting uh and, and that's something that i guess the electric car manufacturers will want to help with uh, public safety people because they want their car to be the safest they don't want to be the one that is causing uh, the exactly. repair shops to catch on fire because <laughs> the cars are in there being fixed. Uh, so they're going to, I guess, work on some way to detach the batteries more easily and make it the same for all vehicles. Looks like that makes sense anyway. I would hope so. Now, how they're going to do that, I don't know, but I, I would hope they would have some way. Like I said, you can't just turn these batteries off. Our phone number is 615-893-1450. We're going to pause for just a moment. We will return. Fire Marshal Carl Pease from Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue is our guest this morning. Some interesting information here. We'll be right back. If you want to talk sports, you want to talk local, you want to talk with Monty Hill Jr. and Tim Tackett, it's all sports talk. Weekdays at 5 on WGNS. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, this is Tina Fox at the Rutherford Farmers Co-op. Please come see us for all your pet and your feathered friend needs. We also have a great gift department with wonderful great gift ideas. And always we have what you need for the farm or the garden. And in our clothing department, we have our Carhartt clothing line. And for ladies, we have our MG Carhartt. And we also have our wonderful muck boots. 
The Co-op Farm and Home Center is at 985 Middle Tennessee Boulevard, just off of South Church. Time to order your king cake for Mardi Gras. This is Chuck Gandy with Gandy Seafood Company. We offer a variety of flavors. The Gandy Seafood Cajun Market on Memorial Boulevard across from Sportscom. My favorite is pecan praline. For orders, call 615-956-6590. Join me, America's career coach Ken Coleman. Weekdays live at noon here on News Radio WGNS for practical advice to help you discover the work you were born to do. Welcome back. We're talking about fires and how to protect yourself from fires. Fascinating. Carl Pease is our guest. Carl is the fire marshal from Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue. Let's look ahead at the future. We've talked a little about electric vehicles and that's gonna bring some big changes. Do you foresee any other changes? You mentioned how furniture has changed over the years and it burns a whole lot more quickly nowadays and sends off all sorts of bad gases. Is that going to get worse or do you think manufacturers are going to try to make things safer? Well, I think everybody will try to make things safer to a certain extent. Now, how far they can make them safer, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. You know, as far as the fire service, you know, we've got to change too. And, and we've changed tremendously, like I said, in the 30 years that I've been a part of it. Uh, but here recently, you know, there's been a big push. You know, they call me the fire marshal, and I used our division used to be called the fire marshal's office. Um, that's even changed now. We've we've expanded out even bigger to now we're called the community risk reduction division. We don't just look at fire related training and fire related education. We go into slips and trips and falls you know we go into water safety bicycle safety home safety just not just fire related but other aspects of it too so we've had to expand um, i can i can tell you back when i started in the fire marshal's office there was three of us uh, fortunately today you know under the leadership of chief folks and deputy chief tombs now i've got six people under me so you know and they do a tremendous job we, we still do the fire stuff but we expand out and do other things. What other things do you do? Give us an example of some of the cases you've been working on. I've, I've never heard of this. Oh, we do. We've branched out from just doing, you know, typical fire safety now where we have a we have a car seat program to where anybody that has a financial need and can't afford a car seat for their child, we'll give them a car seat. Um, you know, we'll also teach them how to install it correctly. I had no idea when I first took the class 10 years ago you know, how, I, I never installed a car seat right. Never. When my son's 22 today, fortunately, but I never did it right. Um, but this just is to teach people how to do it correctly. And, and that's difficult. I remember even with our children, and that was a long time ago, <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure I did it wrong because I did it to the best of our ability to get that seat in there and made it look like it was in there well, but I'm sure it wasn't. Probably not. I know I didn't do it right. You know, when they first told me I was going to this class, uh, I was like, what can they talk about for four days about a car seat? <laughs> you know, after the first day, I was like, what have I gotten myself into? I had no idea. It was that in-depth. And that's what we're doing. We're not a car seat installation service. We're educators. And I'm, I'm glad to say, you know, in our department, we've got over 50 technicians that can teach you how to install your car seat correctly. 
Now, are they installed easier now than they were 20 or 30 years ago because the car accepts the seats more easily? It has changed to where it is easier. Now, is it still done incorrectly? Sometimes, um, you know, but it is the seats have changed. The seats have evolved. Um, you know, it amazes me what some of these seats can do now. They can do self-leveling. They can level themselves. They can tighten themselves down. Um, wow. <laughs> but, you know, 20 years ago when my son was little, he had me to depend on, and fortunately he lived. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have any wrecks or anything. No. Well, tell us, what else? So the, the seats, child safety seats, uh, what else is a part of your business? We've done things like... Um, we got the of course we've had the smoke alarm program for several years uh you know ken honeycutt started that gosh 25 years ago 30 years ago and it's just evolved from there now instead of just doing the battery operator we're doing we're giving out 10-year lithium batteries smoke detectors carbon monoxides come along with carbon monoxide detectors you know the smoke detector has evolved from being just either a photoelectric or an ionization to where it's a combination now they have both uh, a combination photoelectric and ionization in one detector. So things like that, that have the, the technology has changed, so we've had to change as well. So that whole theory has changed. I mean, it used to be you'd stick it in the hall, uh, and, and that would pretty much do the whole house. I, I think that's changed. That's changed. Yeah, now we, want them, we need them in every bedroom, every common area of the bedroom, which is like a hallway, every level. And if, if it's a newer home, it will be hardwired, which means it's run by the power system of the house. But it will also have battery backup. In case the power goes off, the smoke detection system will still work. So hardwired battery backup. Now, with things like that, it seems like it goes more and more with the trend of uh, burglar alarms, which also have fire alarms in them. Are those working, and, and for homes who have alarms in them, are most of them going with fire alarms as well? Most of the people that do do a like a, a burglary-type system will have the fire aspect of it too. But what you need to keep in mind is that alarm compared to the smoke detectors that are installed in the new homes, that's two totally different systems. So um, the ones that are connected to an alarm system will notify an alarm company for a fire response. The smoke detectors that are on your walls now that are interconnected in your house, they just do what's a, called a local alarm, which is just inside that home. You still have to call 911 if you've got a problem. And you still have to get out of the house. You still got to get out. How much time do you have in that house now? Now, depending on the, the age of the home, depending on the whether it's modern furniture or uh, or um existing or the legacy or the modern you have less time now with newer furniture i would have said in the video that we show you had with uh, legacy furniture and legacy homes you'd have had 10 to 12 minutes to get out of the house newer homes with the newer style furniture you've got two to three minutes to get out oh, huge difference huge difference uh, is carpet a part of that? Because even if you have legacy furniture, you probably have new carpet. All of it can play a role. Not saying one's, you know, more safer than the other, but it plays a role in it. And you know, one thing I want to keep in mind, Bar, is we're not saying furniture today is not safe. That is not what we're saying. We're just saying it's built differently. 
it uses different type of materials and it don't it burns faster it's not that it's not safe it just burns faster does it put out toxic yes uh, so it can get you that way too it can fatal yes Oh, so get out of the house. Get out of the house. That's why we push for everybody to have smoke detectors. Like I said, we've got this program. If you don't have a smoke detector or yours don't work, call us. We'll put one in for, it won't cost you anything. We we're, want everybody. Uh, we're almost out of time, but I, before we leave, I wanted to ask you, how important is it to have a, a safe place to go where you everybody meets it? That oh, that's place? vital. That's vital because what you got to understand is when we pull up, the first thing, if we see somebody standing outside, we're going to ask them, is everybody out of the house? If they don't know where the rest of your family is, we have to assume that you're still in there. And that makes our job a little bit more dangerous because we're not going to worry about that fire, about putting it out. We're going to worry about going there and finding you. We'll put the fire out later, but we got to find you now. But if you're at that special meeting place and you're there and everybody's together and we ask, is everybody out? And they can say, yes, we're all right here. Now we can concentrate on that fire. If you have more questions about fire safety and about the many services that they do at Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue, Carl, can they contact you? Please do. 615-893-1422. Carl Pease, our guest this morning from Murfreesboro Fire and Rescue. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir.